If you ever come to the place in your life where you've got weeks and weeks just to kill, uh, I would encourage you to start doing a study on all the phobias that people have. This week I did some uh, scientific research, and by scientific research, I think we all know what I mean by that is a Google search, right? And so uh, I was fascinated on uh, searching Google, like how many actual labeled diagnosed phobias there actually are, and I was also fascinated by the actual things people are afraid of. And so, for example, I'm sure I'm going to butcher the uh, pronunciation of most of these. There's a, uh, something called turophobia. That's the fear of cheese. I have no fear of cheese. More cheese is godly, all right? Uh, hylophobia, the fear of trees. Um, this is my favorite. Um, omphalophobia, the fear of belly buttons. That's a real one, all right? Nomophobia, the fear of being without mobile phone coverage somewhere, uh, Pogonophobia, the fear of beards. Uh, Anatidaphobia, the fear of being watched by a duck. How did they diagnose that one, right? Like I was at the park and I swear this duck was watching me the whole time and I just saw this fear, so I don't know that one. Uh, maybe you know some people that have this last one. Ergaziophobia, the fear of work. I've met some people who have that as well. I don't know what this one's called, but I can tell you in 18 years of ministry, there's also a real fear of telling your mom, no, I'm not going to church with you on Mother's Day. Am I right about that? So, uh, so there's all kinds of fears and phobias and some of them are incredibly funny. But uh, being gripped by fear is anything but funny. January of 2016, uh, we're at home. I was uh, laying on the floor searching internet, and we're getting ready for bed. And I told uh, Tasha, I said, hey, I said, put your hand on my chest. Does it feel like my heart's beating weird? And it's like palpitation. She said, I do feel that. I said, I'm sure it's fine, and so I'll just go to sleep. Long story short, I wake up in the middle of the night. Something clearly is off on my heartbeat. So I go to the hospital, and they said, uh, you have what's a heart arrhythmia known as AFib. And I said, I know what that is. My mom has that. And so uh, they said it's super common, um, don't, nothing to be freaked out about. It can happen one time, you know, d- d- all kinds of reasons. And so what we'll do is we're just going to give you some medicine through IV, and that will put your heart back into rhythm. I said, hey, great. So the medicine IV comes back in. He says, hey, um, the bad news is, he said, um, we give you the medicine. It's not working. Your heart's still in AFib or it's out of rhythm. And he said, so we're going to go to step two. And I said, uh, what's step two? He said, we're going to do cardioversion. Now, so what's cardioversion? So we got some paddles, and at that moment, all I heard was clear, right? Like, I'm, I've watched TV. He's like, no, no, it's way, way lower than that. He said, we'll shock your heart back into rhythm and be totally fine, and it worked. And so, uh, but as a result of that, you had to follow up with a cardiologist, you know, to find out what's going on. And so through that, he's like, hey, totally fine. It may, may never happen again in your life, and it hasn't. And he said, it's nothing to freak out about. He said, we've ran every kind of test, every kind of heart monitor. Every, he's like, everything is totally fine. But... Somewhere along the way, um, I got the idea in my mind that everything wasn't fine. I'm 40 years old, and so why did this happen? And, and uh, so those, that uh, worry began to grow into uh, fear, and in 2016, it developed into full-blown panic attacks for almost an entire year. It, it was miserable. And so um, it was during that year that I realized there was nothing funny about being gripped by fear. And so fear can certainly affect us physically, but also fear crushes us spiritually as well. Uh, Fear robs us of joy and peace and confidence we have in Christ. Fear fixates our thoughts on us and uh, instead of on God. Uh, Fear drains us emotionally, spiritually, physically. Fear keeps us from sharing Jesus with other people. And so fear can cripple us as a Christian. And that's the bad news. Now, the good news is um, God's word has much to say about fear and God offers incredible wisdom. 
Whenever you find in uh, scripture, uh, oftentimes people would be afraid. Uh, God would respond this way, hey, uh, fear not or do not be afraid. In fact, the Bible's most frequently repeated command in all the Bible is fear not. And so that tells us that real people living real lives in the Bible struggled with fear and God spoke into that and gave them wisdom. And so we're going to wrap up our spring cleaning series this morning. We've talked about getting rid of doubt and then getting rid of greed. And this morning we're going to talk about getting rid of fear. And so let me invite you to take your phones, your Bibles, your tablets. Whatever you're using, and turn with me to the Old Testament into the book of Isaiah. And we're going to look at two passages in the book of Isaiah. We're going to look at chapter 41, and then we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 51 as well, two of the strongest passages in the entire Bible that teach us truths about battling fear. And so, in Isaiah chapter 41, we're going to look this morning at verses 8 down through verse 10, and then in chapter 51, we'll look at verses 12 through 16. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 8 says this, But you, O Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. Uh, You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, You're my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now jump over to chapter 51 and let's look at verses 12 through 16. I, even I am, who comforts you. Uh, Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and of the son of man who will be made like grass? And you forget the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. You have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor when he is prepared to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? The captive exile hastens that he may be loosed, that he should not die in the pit, and that his bread shall not fail. But I am the Lord your God, who divided the sea, whose waves roared, and the Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand, that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, and say to Zion, you are my people. Now, we're going to come back to those two passages in detail, so kind of keep your uh, marked in your Bible there. But before we get into specific principles from those passages, I want us to look at some big picture, kind of general principles about what the Bible teaches regarding fear. And so if you've been coming here for a length of time, you know this, uh, we love the authority of the Bible. We also love practical Bible teaching. And so uh, in that vein, I just wrote down the simplest questions I would have if I were you listening today on this idea of fear from a big picture before we get into these passages specifically. So uh, let me just start off by addressing this first question at the very foundational level is this. What is fear from a biblical perspective? Do we see the Bible define it? Do we see it illustrated in these passages? And so uh, what is fear from a biblical perspective? Uh, I would offer this answer. Fear and panic are severe forms of worry and anxiety. So fear and panic are severe forms of worry and anxiety. Sometimes those words are used interchangeably, you know, fear and anxiety and panic and worry. But I think it's more helpful to think of these terms kind of on a spectrum, if you will. Uh, when someone gets diagnosed with cancer, it's on a spectrum, stage one to stage four. If someone's diagnosed with autism, it's on a spectrum, either mild or severe. So I want you to think of fear in that same context. And so I would offer up uh, four stages of the spectrum, not as diagnostic labels, but, but kind of a descriptor or an illustrator to help you understand uh, these different levels. So level one would be simply this, it's just concern. 
It's concern. And, and we all have that, or at least we should have that, because a lack of concern is a lack of sensibility. Lack of concern is a lack of wisdom oftentimes. Uh, we live in a fallen world where fallen people do evil things, so we should be concerned. We live in a fallen world where even the creation around us is uh, suffering the effects of the fall, and so there's natural disasters, tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunamis, all those things. So uh, we should be uh, wise of that and be concerned. Now listen, if you walk out on your porch and there's a tiger sitting there, uh, if you say, I'm not afraid, listen, you're not spiritual, you're stupid, all right? You should be concerned if a tiger's on your front porch. Now, in the Bible, the same Greek word, uh, merimneo, is often translated worry or a synonym, synonym, and depending on the context, it can either be seen as something positive or something negative, depending on the context. So, uh, let me give you an example of where it's, the context is positive. Uh, Philippians 2.20 says this. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. That word care there is the same word in the Greek. So that's in a positive. I care about you. I'm concerned about your well-being physically, spiritually there in that passage. And so, so that's in a positive context where concern is a good thing. Right? It means we care for someone. We're concerned about their well-being. But when the context is negative, that same Greek word in a negative context is when it gets to level two. And so level one's concern. Uh, level two would be worry. And let me tell you what worry is at its root. Worry is uh, we begin to battle unbelief in our thought patterns. Even Christians battle unbelief. Not the idea that I don't believe in God, I don't believe in the resurrection on the big picture, but in the little things, what I know to be true about God, when I'm afraid, I begin to battle and worry, well, maybe those things aren't true. Maybe God's not going to answer in time. Maybe God's not in control of this situation. Maybe God's presence is not going to be near. Maybe God's not going to sustain me. Maybe God's not going to walk with me. You get the idea. We begin to battle unbelief. That what we know to be true about God, that's been revealed in the light, we begin to doubt in dark times. And so here's where the same Greek word, but in a negative context, is used to describe worry. Classic passage on worry, Matthew 6, 25 says this, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. So same Greek word, uh, first one, it's concern, positive context. The second one, it's described as a pattern of unbelief. And so in that passage, they were doubting God's provision for them, if you read through uh, Matthew chapter 6. So level one, concern. Positive context. Level two is worry. And same word, different context. I begin to battle patterns of unbelief in my thought process. Level three goes from concern to worry into fear. And fear is when we become dominated and debilitated by worry. Fear is worry gone wild. Fear happens when worry can no longer be managed. If you've heard the song on Christian radio, Fear is a Liar, that's true. Because when fear sets in, all of a sudden improbable scenarios not only become probable in our mind, they become expected. And we live out of that dominating thought pattern. We, we had a friend who used to say this. He's like, hey, do you ever wonder sometimes? You ever afraid that, um, that somehow you're going to go out in our neighborhood and like a wild animal got loose from the zoo, it's going to be walking around the neighborhood and your kids are out there? I'm like, in my life, I've never been afraid of that. What's wrong with you, Right? And so in her mind, something that was totally improbable became expected. And so that's fear. There's no shortage of possible areas of your life that can become dominated by fear. And this is often the level where physical symptoms of anxiety show up. And so this is where fear becomes life-altering. So concern, 
worry, and fear. And then level four, full-blown, is panic. That's when our hearts, our inner man, our mind, deceive our bodies that have also been affected by the fall and real physical symptoms show up often completely incapacitating someone. Now, let me just be clear. If you're listening, say amen. Not every physical symptom is rooted in a spiritual problem. Not every physical symptom is rooted in a spiritual problem. And even when it is rooted in a spiritual or inner man problem, we're not denying the reality of real physical symptoms. Body problems or outer man can affect your heart or inner man, and heart problems can affect your body. And so if someone has an an outer man diagnosis going on, guess what? That can wreak havoc in the inner man. If someone's struggling deeply in the inner man, that could show up in real outer man physical, tangible symptoms that we can battle those things. Now, is it hard to distinguish between outer man and inner man? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've had this question so many times, I'm just going to go ahead and address it. I've had so many times people have said, hey, I don't know if it's an inner man or an outer man issue, but I went to the doctor because I'm real outer man symptoms, and they gave me medicine. Is it wrong as a Christian to take medicine for these things if, in fact, it's an inner man issue? And I said, well, here, here, listen, here's the deal. Uh, the reality is medicine in the short term, even if it's an inner man issue, may help you gain the strength and stability to get the margin to tackle head on what might be an inner man issue, but we don't know what that is at this point in time. And so people have asked, that, well, if I got the Bible, the Holy Spirit and prayer, why do I need medicine? And sometimes in the short time, it is a gift of God. And so there's concern, worry, grow into fear, and then go into full-blown panic. And so here's the second question. Uh, what, what are common inner man fears? Well, what are some things that we're going to wrestle with if, in fact, uh, we have not? And so, so we can list tons of them. It's been a whole series on addressing all these fears. Let me just list a few common fears that the Bible actually speaks to and illustrates that real people in the Bible really struggled with this morning. And so uh, write these down because we're going to come back and take those two passages, read Isaiah, and speak truth from those two passages into these real everyday fears that people can struggle with, all right? Uh, so uh, when we look at examples of fear in the scriptures, uh, the one instantly that comes to mind for me is Gideon. Uh, Gideon, if you're looking at fear, would be the poster child for fear. In the account of Gideon in uh, Judges chapter 6, we see two of these three actually displayed in Gideon's life. Uh, so the first one would be uh, fear of present circumstances, I also would call that the fear of vulnerability, that, that God, in, in light of what's going on around me, I feel vulnerable, I feel like I'm, I'm in a dangerous place, and so that's the fear of present circumstances. Now, how do I know that Gideon actually struggled with that as opposed to reading into you know, some kind of psychological diagnosis? Here's how I know, because when his enemies were approaching in Judges chapter 6, verse 11, uh, Gideon was hiding inside of a wine press. Right? That wasn't a position of strength like, I'm just waiting to pounce on them. No, he was scared to death. And so he said, man, this army's coming against me. I'm feeling vulnerable. And so the only thing I know to do is to hide inside of this wine press. And so the fear of present circumstance or the fear of vulnerability. Now, if you've ever said, hey, just sometimes I don't, when I wrestle with these things, I don't feel like that a Christian should wrestle with these things. Let me encourage you, read the Psalms. One of the dominant themes of the psalm is fear and worry and anxiety and danger. Let me just read you a few psalms. Psalm 3.1. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? That's present circumstances. 
Psalm 4-1, answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress, present circumstances. Be merciful for me. Hear my prayer. Psalm 10-1, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Here's a paraphrase. Why do you leave me vulnerable, God, in the midst of these circumstances? So fear of present circumstances or fear of vulnerability is a real one. People struggle in the Bible with, you may struggle with. Let me give you a second one, is the fear of future outcomes. I also call this the fear of the loss of control. Raise your hand if you're sitting next to someone who likes to be in control. Would you just acknowledge that, right? Some of you are like, I'm scared, so I'm going to blink my eyes fast three times, right? Gideon struggled with that. In an effort to assure Gideon that everything's going to be fine, he's like, hey, hey, Gideon, I realize you're dangerous, you feel vulnerable, come out of the wine press, you don't have anything to be afraid of. Not only that, Gideon, should you not be afraid of present circumstances, you don't have to be afraid of future circumstances. Because Gideon, this this is going to blow your mind, Gideon, I'm going to provide the victory for you, you don't have to worry about it. But Gideon's heart was gripped by fear. And he said, Lord, I'm not sure I can trust you with future circumstances. They seem totally outside of control. And so, God, I'm going to ask you for a sign to confirm, in fact, your promise to me. He said, I'm going to offer up this food to angels, and I'm going to ask you to consume it. And so God did that, Judges chapter 6, verse 20. That wasn't enough for Gideon. He said, "Uh, Lord, I'm still not convinced, and so I'm going to put out a fleece. This is around verse 30. I'm going to put out a fleece, and when I wake up in the morning, I want part of it to be wet with dew and part of it to be dry. And God did that to confirm to him, settle his fears. And then Gideon said, I'm still not convinced. So God, I'm going to do the same thing and put out a fleece again, but I want you to do the exact opposite this time. And God did that again. Now, side note, whenever someone says, I'm putting out a fleece to discern the will of God, that's not to be modeled. Gideon was operating from a position of fear, not from a position of faith. And so Gideon was afraid of future outcomes so much to the point where God said I'm going to provide the victory Gideon said I'm still afraid can you do this can you do this can you do this here's the third common one fear of man and I would also call this the fear of rejection fear of man refers to an intense ruling desire to gain the approval or to avoid the disapproval of another person this is a common fear it's contrasted with the fear of God the fear of God is, is a healthy, reverential fear, not, not a trembling in the corner, but it says, I love God so much that the fear of disappointing him guides my actions and my attitudes. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 says this, the fear of man is a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Where do we see that illustrated in the Bible? John chapter 12 Listen to verse 42, this is fascinating. John chapter 12, verse 42 says this, Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, religious leaders of Israel, many of the leaders believed in him being Jesus. Now, we always think of the leaders of Israel being against Jesus, right? But here's what it says in verse 42, that many of them, they actually believed him, believed his message, believed he was the Messiah. So why didn't they just stop the whole crucifixion? What did it say? If many of them shut it down, you know why? The fear of man, because listen to what it says. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Then verse 43, here's the heart of it. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Listen, the fear of man is so strong, it got Jesus killed. They could have stopped it, but they were afraid of the Pharisees disapproving of them. They won the applause of man. Now, if you find yourself often struggling with fear, one of the challenges is to kind of root out the heart issue. 
That yes, I struggle with fear, and yes, I struggle with some anxieties, and yes, uh, this is a pattern of worry in my life. I've been plagued by this. And so, uh, so how do we discern? Because sometimes it's just this is going on, but I don't know what the root heart issue is if it's an inner man issue. Now, if you're listening, say amen. Here's a key principle. You obey that which you fear. You obey that which you fear. And so if you find yourself obeying the expectations of other people, even to your detriment, if you find yourself saying yes when you know under the banner of wisdom you should be saying no, guess what? That reveals that what you're obeying is the fear of man. If you find yourself when life gets hard of burying your head in the sand or running away or staying under the covers, guess what you fear? The fear of present circumstances. If you find yourself being a control freak, trying to engineer every outcome, getting angry when you lose control, guess what you fear? You fear the fear of future or the fear of losing control. We obey that which we fear. And so that leads us to the last question, the specifics of these two passages. And so, so we've got, got to handle what is fear biblically. We see examples of that. Uh, we've got, we got to handle common fears that we see illustrated in the Bible that we show up in our own life. And so, so here's a question. This is what it is. This, this is real. Um, these examples, how do we fight it? How do you fight fear biblically as opposed to being dominated by it? And so I want to glean from these two passages. Let's first start off in Isaiah chapter 41. I want you to see three principles in this passage. And the first one is simply this. If you're going to fight fear biblically, then you have to live out of the security of your identity in Christ. You have to live out of the security of your identity in Christ. Listen, sometimes in the battle of fear, what you're afraid of is the reality of your own inadequacies of knowing I don't have it within me to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. I don't have it within me to gain the approval of this person. And so what they were afraid of, Isaiah chapter 41, the first thing he speaks into their fear, he says, hey, he says, I know you're afraid, but remember who you belong to, because in your identity are promises to live out of and power to draw from. Look at verses 8 and 9 again in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8, he says, but you're Israel, you're my servant, you belong to me, Uh, Jacob, whom I have chosen, The descendants of Abraham, my friend. I'm not going to treat you like an enemy. I'm going to treat you like a friend. Verse 9. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest region and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. And so how does this identity uh, help us fight fear? How does realizing the fact that God's not going to treat us like an enemy, that God says, no, 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 I'm not going to treat you like an enemy. I chose you. I called you to myself. You belong to me. Now, I'm going to be as practical as I can. Let me show you practically from the Bible how your identity helps you fight fear, your identity in Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 says this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lusts. What he's saying is, hey, once you belong to Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now living inside of you. So so how does that help me? Because here's the reality. What he's saying is you no longer have to be a slave to these sinful desires that the power to change is inside of you, not because of your strength, but because of Christ at work in you. You know what that tells me? That because of my identity in Christ and the power I've received from him, I no longer have to be afraid that I'm never going to be able to change. 
That's a real fear. That I'm never going to overcome my patterns of sin. I'm never going to change once and for all. I'm never going to make the changes in my life I want to do. He says, hey, when you're in Christ, you don't have to be afraid of that anymore. You no longer have to obey the flesh. Here's another one. Because of your identity in Christ, you no longer have to worry if you measure up in someone else's eyes. That's a real fear. Romans chapter 14, let me just kind of give you the cliff notes of this passage. In Romans chapter 14, uh, he starts off in verse 5, and he says, One person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all the days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So let me tell you what's going on. There is this comparison going on. Well, I can't believe that you don't honor this day and this feast. And can you believe those people? They eat meat offered to idols. So there's all this comparison going on, wondering, do I measure up in someone else's eyes? That's, that's what's going on. But look what he says near the end of this passage. Um, in, in verse 8, he says, For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we're the Lord's. You know what he's saying? Your identity is not rooted in whether or not you measure up to other people's standards. Your identity, whether you're alive or dead, is in Jesus Christ. And because of that, you have declared value because you don't have to live with the fear of wondering, do I measure up. Now, can I just pause right here? Is it just me or is that a freeing thing? Is that exciting? Because I look at your face, I don't think you're excited. I'm excited. All right? And I don't, look, you know what? On the count of three, if you're excited, we just let out a hootie hoo for Jesus. Can we just do that right? One, two, three. Hootie hoo! Right? That I'm free from the approval of other people. Why? Because I've been approved by Jesus Christ. I'm free from that fear. Let me give you a real practical, another one. You don't have to be afraid because of your identity in Christ. You don't have to be afraid of suffering. You know why? Not that it's not hard, not that it's not real, not that it's not scary. Because I know that part of being in Christ is participating in the fellowship of his sufferings is what the Bible says. So when suffering comes my way, I don't have to be afraid that God's abandoned me. Suffering identifies me that I belong to him. You say, where's it at in the Bible? Uh, Listen to Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God and if children, heirs means we have an inheritance, right? Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Here's what he says. Provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. He says, hey, what that's saying is this. One of the ways you know you're a follower of Jesus Christ is you participate in the fellowship of his sufferings. So don't be afraid of suffering when it comes your way. It's a part of your identity confirming the fact that you belong to Jesus Christ. And so you live out of the truth of your identity. Verse 8 verse 9, he says, hey, I'm not going to treat you like an enemy. I'm going to treat you like a friend. I'm not cast you out. I've chosen you. You're mine. So live in the reality of your identity. Now, I told you, write down those three common fears and we're going to learn principles that, that speak truth into those fears. So how does identity and our position in Christ help us battle fear? It sets us free from the fear of man. I no longer have to get my identity based on what other people say or don't say about me. I now am free to live in the freedom of my identity in Jesus Christ. That is liberating. Let's do a hootie. No, I'm kidding. All right, uh, number two. Uh, here's the second thing I want you to see in this passage. Um, you also, if you're going to fight fear, you've got to live in the comfort of God's presence. We fight fear by recognizing that God is with us. Look at verse 10. There's that repeated command in Scripture, verse 10, fear not. Now, listen, if you're like me, it's not, not only not helpful, it's frustrating when you're afraid and someone says this sage advice right here. Don't be afraid. You're like, I am afraid, right? But God doesn't just say, hey, don't be afraid. God says, don't be afraid, and here's why. 
You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to, when I say don't be afraid, you know, muster up all this courage. No, no, God says it's not about you at all. What's he say in verse 10? Fear not, for I am with you. You're not standing here by yourself. Whatever you're afraid of, I'm in the midst of the circumstances with you. My presence is present and available to you. Isn't that encouraging? Think of all the times in Scripture where the comfort for people's fears is not just a command, hey, don't, don't be scared of that. It's God says, hey, the comfort for your fears is I'm present with you in the midst of it. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I'm strong. No, for you are with me, his presence. Psalm 23 reminds us that God's presence battles fear. Psalm 118, six and seven, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to, uh, do to me? The Lord is with me. He's my helper. God's presence comforts us. Uh, Psalm 27, one, Psalm of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, if you're listening, say amen. Too important to miss. There is a huge fundamental difference between a biblical principle and God's presence. In times of fear, you don't need a verse, you need God's presence. Now, am I denying truth? No. Listen, the truth of God reveals the character of God, and that truth revealed should lead us into the presence of God. The whole purpose of knowledge is not for the sake of knowledge, it's to grow in intimacy. I learn about God so that I can spend more time with God in intimacy. And if you just say, well, hey, you need a verse, you're you're afraid. No, listen, that verse, the truth of that should lead you into the presence of God because when you're fearful, you're doubting what you know to be true about God and the scriptures you're meditating on lead you into greater intimacy of what is declared to be true about God in his word. And in a Bible teaching church like ours, there is a danger of substituting knowledge for intimacy, substituting principles for presence. This week, Tosh and I celebrated our 21st anniversary. That's right. I didn't celebrate that by writing out a list of facts I knew about her. I celebrated that by spending time with her and spending every dime I had for the glory of God. I just want to share that, all right? Listen, knowledge... It's not a substitute for intimacy. And in your journey with Jesus, you don't need a verse. You need God's presence that that verse has revealed that's true about the character of God. That's not the same thing. It's not semantics. Listen to this. Psalm 1611 uh, says this. You make known to me. That's education. That's knowledge, right? But listen to the rest of the verse because here's what that knowledge should produce in us. You make known to me the path of life in your presence, that's intimacy, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. You know what joy is? Joy is a settled confidence on the inside regarding the character of God, despite what's going on that's scary around me on the outside. And what leads to that settled confidence about God in the midst of scary circumstances? He said, in the presence of God, not the knowledge of God, that should lead to presence, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. There is a settled confidence on the inside, no matter how scary what's going on around me is on the outside. And so that's what the scripture teaches. Now, 
what fear, what truth does that set us free from? That truth, God's presence, should set us free from being vulnerable in present circumstances. You say, hey, here's what I know to be true about God. Despite how I feel in the midst of this scary circumstance, he is with me. Fear not. Here's the third thing I want you to see in this passage, which is this. Is if you're going to fight fear, the third thing in this passage we see is this. Renew your mind around the character of God. Renew your mind around the character of God. Now, it's no secret here. We challenge people. Memorize scripture. A verse every month we challenge that. We challenge you, here's why, so you can more efficiently and effectively meditate on Scripture. You know what you need when you're afraid? You may not have your Bible with you when you're afraid. you know that? You know what you need when you're afraid? You need to be able to recall truths about God that you're doubting in the present when you're afraid and meditate on the character of God. And so, uh, so what does this passage teach us about the character of God? Uh, go back to verse 10, chapter 41. Uh, so, Beginning in verse 10 says this, uh, fear not for I'm with you. So that's God's presence is available. And then he says, be not dismayed for I'm your God. This is personal. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, you know what he's saying there? God, God's a spirit being. He doesn't have a little right hand. So the right hand of God symbolically in Scripture is, uh, is symbolic of God's power and his authority and his sovereignty. And so uh, what he's saying here is this. Hey, listen, uh, not only am I with you, but be comforted by the fact that I, my, all, my power, my authority uh, extends beyond the reality of your circumstance that you're afraid is going to happen. Now, why is this so important? Because here's the, let me show you the difference, illustrate the difference between presence and power. So if you're out working in your yard and a tree falls over on you and if you've got a five-year-old son or grandson and they walk up and they said, number one, I love you. Number two, I'm here with you. It's okay, right? But number three, I cannot help you. That's not encouraging, right? Their love that you belong to them their presence, that they love you, but they don't have the power to free you from your circumstances. Listen, you know what verse 10 says? God said, hey, fear not, I'm with you, I'm present, but not only am I present, I am able. No matter what you're facing in the future, it is not outside the control of my sovereign authority. Here's the character of God. God can speak and act. Why? Because he's present and he's powerful. Renew your mind when you're afraid around the character of God. He is with me, I belong to him, and God is able. That's the truth. That's the truth of the character of God. God's not like a five-year-old who says, hey, I'm here and I love you. God says, hey, I'm here, I love you, and I can fix it should I decree to do so. And so what truth does that battle against, that common fear? It addresses the fear of future circumstance, of losing control. You know why? Because when you belong to a God, there's nothing outside of his control. So let me tell you some other truths about the character of God. We've got to hustle. Isaiah chapter 51, flip over there really quick. I want you to see three things really quick. It's too important of a passage to not have in your arsenal when you're battling fear. Isaiah chapter 51, I want you to see three truths about God. Number one, he is a compassionate father. Look at verse 12. Isaiah 51 verse 12. Uh, I, even I, I I'm, I'm he who comforts you. 
Who are you? You should be afraid of a man who'll die and a son of man who made like grass. He said, hey, listen, don't, don't be afraid of anyone's approval, what's going on. I'm the God who comforts you. He is a compassionate father. What's the second truth we see about God? Not only that, he's a sovereign king. This parallels Isaiah 41.10. As father, God comes close to you. As king, he rules over the affairs of the world around you. So don't be afraid. Look at verse 13. You forget the Lord your maker. You know what happens when you're afraid? You forget the power of the God you belong to. That's what he says. He says, you forget the Lord your maker. I stretched out the heavens. I laid the foundations of the earth. What are you afraid of? You belong to me and everything around you. I created all. I rule over all of it. What's happening and what will happen. He's a compassionate father. He's a sovereign king. And the third thing is this. He's a generous provider. Now, when you're afraid, sometimes you say, I know he can. Whatever it is, I know he can. But here's what fear says. I'm not sure he will. In other words, he has good gifts, but he's withholding them. No, no, no. Look at verse 16. What does it say in verse 16 about a generous provider? I have put my words in your mouth. When you've been so afraid, Israel, you didn't know what to say to the enemy, I gave you the words to say. I provided what you needed. What's he say secondly? I've covered you with the shadow of my hand. When it seemed like they were closing in all around you, you were protected by my sovereign hand. I covered you in the midst of your fearful circumstances. Scripture talks about the Psalms being under the shadow of God's wing and his care and his provision. He is a compassionate father. He is a sovereign king. He is a generous provider. He said, in the midst of those fearful circumstances, I'm going to give you what you need. I've given you words to speak, and I've placed you under my care. Psalm 56.3 says this. When I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. You know what that means, practically? When I'm scared, I will rest my mind in the character of a God who loves me, who's for me, who is able, and he's generous. You know what you should do when you find someone who loves you like that? You should give them your whole heart. And I'm going to invite you to do that very thing right now. Would you bow your head this morning? With your head bowed this morning, I'm going to ask you a simple question. Have you given your heart to Jesus Christ? Have you given your heart to the one who has the authority to forgive your sins? And maybe you've got some fear regarding your eternal destiny. Maybe you've got some fear wondering if you're going to go to heaven when you die. But here's the reality. The Bible says this, that if you'll receive Jesus Christ, if you'll confess your sins, if you'll repent or desire to turn from your sin and self-righteousness, then Jesus Christ will save you from your sins. So have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Or are you afraid of standing before God one day, hoping heaven will be your home? You don't have to be afraid. Jesus Christ said, I came so that you may know you have eternal life. Would you receive Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior? You don't have to live in the fear of eternity anymore. Jesus Christ purchased your forgiveness. Would you receive him today by faith as your Lord and Savior? Maybe you're here and you already belong to Jesus. You've been walking with him. But that doesn't negate the reality of your life. 
that maybe recently you're going through a season of fear and worry. Maybe it's been a life debilitating struggle for you. And if that's you this morning, and I could just pray for you specifically, that you would live this week in light of the truths that we've heard about God as you battle fear. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, I battle fear and worry all the time. Yeah, lots of you, amen. Anybody else, amen. Yeah, let me just pray for you this morning. That's all I wanna do. God, I pray for every hand that was raised and I pray for those who should have raised their hands but they were afraid to even acknowledge their fear. God, I pray this week as practically as I can that whatever they're facing this week, God, when that fear begins to rise in their minds, God, that what they know to be true about you, that they've learned from these passages would dominate their thoughts. That God, in the midst of their fear, they would dominate on the character of a God who loves them and who's generous with his gifts and who fights on their behalf and who's a sovereign king. God, let us live differently this week because of the truth of your word. And so, Lord, change us by your grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning and maybe you prayed to receive